0: Welcome to the Unqualified sir, the unqualified sports show. What? Everyone's having a hard time talking. It's not today. the shorts show, it's the sports show, it's which is important. show. Uh, the, for February 15th, 2019, uh, 2020. <laughs> good Lord. Wow. <laughs> I went back in time a year. Uh, I am your host, Nate Snitko, allegedly, and with me <laughs> is my partner in crime, Forrest Chase. Hello? <laughs> uh I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the wow. third time was right. not, in fact, the charm. Yeah, This is our third episode in a row. Anyway, uh, let's talk <laughs> about the Boston Bruins. Uh, in their most recent game, they get a win over the Canadiens by a final score of 4-1, to one, which included a hat trick for David Pasternak. Uh, David Pasternak also retakes the league lead in scoring, uh, which was nice. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this, there was right. a lot to like about this win. Um, very good play from Dukor Rask. Obviously, very good play from David Posternock in this one. Uh, We did not end up losing the services of Zdeno Chara, which was in theory in play following this particular game as Chara had a cross-checking incident where he got cross-checked by Brandon Gallagher and uh, decided to reply. The problem is there was about eight inches of height difference between the two of them, and he basically cross-checked the guy in the throat, (laughs) which was not great. Um, But no, uh, we have since found out that the... Uh, the incident resulted in a fine <laughs> like, for Zenochari. They're let and not let that a, one slide. Huh? Yeah, apparently All they're right. going to let that, which let me tell you has not made, been a popular decision around the league. I, yeah. I think in large part it was because Gallagher was sort of the instigator of the incident. Um, and because probably, of the height probably. difference, probably. it's really hard for Zinu Char not to just crush people sometimes. You <laughs> we, we occasionally see this when he gets into <laughs> fights. Yeah. Well, uh, as it, Stands, though, um, you know, a very good uh, game all the way around. I, I don't really know what else to say about it. It does put the Rocket Richard Trophy back into play for David Posternock, who had been on a little bit of a lull coming out of, or I should say going into the All-Star break, um, had allowed, I think, two people to go ahead of him, um, both Alex Ovechkin and I don't remember who the other one was. Regardless, though, he regains the lead in, uh, the Rocket Richard Trophy hunt, and uh, I, I think he's going to get it. I mean, if you this team is finally sort of maintaining its health, it's got 24 games left to go. They have not the easiest schedule, but pretty close to it over the remaining uh, section of games. Like they're facing off against a lot of defensively kind of, defensively kind of suspect teams. Mm. So it would not surprise me to find that he's able to feast on them. Uh, going into the postseason, uh, the Bruins do remain at the top of the uh, Eastern Division. They are one point ahead of the Washington Capitals. Uh, the Capitals no longer have a game in hand, so uh, that one point is is true is true, right? So uh, it's going to be real interesting to see how this one breaks out because Tampa Bay is still right behind them. Um, t- they current uh, the Bruins currently have eighty one championship points uh excuse me 82 championship points Tampa Bay still has 81 championship points and has as many games played as the uh as the Bruins do so yeah a uh, very 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 close three-way race for the top of the standings um and actually uh Pittsburgh is not too far behind they have two games fewer and have 76 points so if they won both of those huh. they'd be at 80 so you you know um it's going to be a bit of a traffic jam at the top of the east um meanwhile uh the west has not been doing quite so good. Um the Blues of course the reigning Stanley Cup champions lead the Western Division right now with a grand total of 74 uh with one fewer game played than the Bruins. That's, it's looking like the east is by far the stronger of the two uh the two conferences this year. Mm. Uh we did get a signing this week by the Bruins. They signed Jeremy Lauzon to a uh, two-year contract right after he got suspended for two games. Um, basically, they signed him to a two-year deal worth 850000 per year. This is a pretty good signing. Lawson's a guy who took a long time to develop. Um, he was somebody that uh, a lot of people were not convinced were, was going to be able to regularly play at the NHL level, but they've had to bring him in a bunch this year because of some of their injuries to play on that defensive line. and He's done a pretty good job, so this gives him, them... <laughs> control over him for the next couple of years at a steal of a price. I mean, that's basically league minimum. Um, and so, you know, they'll they'll be able to – the one thing I don't know if they can do because I, I think this is his RFA contract is that they may not be able to send him freely between um, Boston and Providence. So they may need to keep him on the roster after this season. I'll have to check on that as we go forward. Last bit of news that I have for you is a look at Bruins' injuries. Um, Both um, Jaroslav Halak and uh, Connor Clifton are both uh, injured and have missed the last couple of games. Um, According to Bruce Cassidy in an interview on Thursday, Jaroslav Halak is feeling a lot better and may return to the lineup soon. Um, He basically wants to play him probably on The second night of the back-to-back against the Detroit Red Wings – well, excuse me. Uh um, I'm sorry. Against the New York Rangers, uh, it's likely that Rask would try to play uh, against the Red Wings tonight. Um, So we'll see how that goes. Connor Clifton, um, he was able to complete a full practice on Friday, so his return to the lineup seems to be imminent. Um, But there hasn't been any announcement made one way or the other. But the fact that he's back in pads and was able to practice a full practice – Says to me that he's going Good to be signs. back sooner rather than later, um, so we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on them going forward. Uh, let's move on to the Boston Celtics, who finally finished their death march. Um, they uh, you mean they get two days off. They get more than that, actually, because we are in the middle of the uh, All Star break. So they had their last game. <laughs> it took the All Star break for them to get some it days basically off. Basically, took the All Star break Jeez. for them to get some day out days off. Yeah, they played Thursday night uh, at home against the uh Los Angeles Clippers, and they defeated the Clippers by final score of one forty one to one thirty three in double overtime. This was not an easy game not for them. An easy win? No. i uh, you know the Clippers might be the best team in the league. It's The general consensus is that it's between it's it's one of three teams. It's either the Clippers, the Lakers, or the Bucks. Um, I think that the Celtics actually have a win against all three of those teams this year, which is a little interesting. Um, Uh But yeah, this was a game that they played without Jalen Brown, who was out uh, due to a thigh contusion, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, you know, they did a really good job of maintaining. A good level of scoring. Jason Tatum has 39 points in this one. They actually got a really big offensive game from Marcus Smart, and it didn't hurt them, which was kind of weird. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, that we've talked before about the fact that if Marcus Smart has a big game, that it's usually a pretty poor sign. But no, in this one, he was pretty good. Um, Kemba Walker really was not he wasn't as prolific as you would expect, but he was not bad in this one. He was actually defensively pretty important in this one. He had a really big steal uh, at the end of the second quarter, going into the half, that really kind of kept the uh, the the momentum, the momentum alive for the Celtics in this one. Um, Jason Tatum just took over the fourth quarter in this one. Uh, he is really it's it's kind of gratifying to see that he got elected to the All Star game and then continue to play at an all-star level like he seems to take that as a challenge of his abilities rather than as a sign that he sort of reached the peak which is nice um sometimes you sometimes you get that guy who gets elected to all-star and sort of assumes that they're as good as everyone else and don't need to really improve and that is clearly not the case with jason tatum he has really become i think he's their best player right now really i think like you know and i I don't Uh think that it's close like as much as i love kemba walker and and what he's coming and done and, as much as I love Jalen Brown and the the level that he 's found that i don 't think that a lot of people thought that he was going to be able to find their best player is Jason Tatum right now like if it came down to, if if the playoffs started today and they had to rely on somebody to to be that guy for scoring, it would be Jason Tatum now The good news uh-huh. is is this is not a roster that is built around one person scoring so that yeah. he he has the you know the ability to have a bad night here and there, but he 's been really, really solid over some very grueling sets of games the last month or so. Um, I don't think that he's had a game with under 20 points scoring in like the last three weeks. They're a pretty heavy schedule, too. Yeah, yeah and a really heavy schedule, yeah. like multiple back-to-backs, a lot of, you know, you know away, home-and-away games, that, that kind of thing. So I, I've been very, very happy. Like, he's really kind of made it a point to show people that his election to the All-Star team is not a fluke um all right that's good and i i'm 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 there for it man like i really i i'm really happy that he's playing at the level that he's playing at the moment yeah it's play and play hard yeah all right so where's okay i gotta shut that off for myself so i can hear stuff all right so we're, we're gonna pick it there. up from the garnet beginning of the garnet story yep garnet yep so when you're ready All right, so we found out this week that a former Boston Celtic is in the news. Uh, Kevin Garnett is in the news this week for two reasons. Uh, First, he was announced as a finalist for the Hall of Fame voting uh, for the Basketball Hall of Fame, and then also this week it was announced that his jersey would be retired by the Boston Celtics. Um, The number five will be uh, retired, uh, I don't think they say when uh, the, the ceremony is actually going to happen. But they announced that it would be um, basically right after it was announced uh, that he would be a finalist for the Hall of Fame. He is widely expected to be able to make the Hall of Fame, which is not that easy, actually. Oh, is he actually expected to? Yeah, because if you look at the number of people who are up for the Hall of Fame this year, like, I mean, obviously Kobe Bryant, I believe, is getting in Because I think this is his year of eligibility. And even if we hadn't had that recent tragedy, obviously, he would be a shoo-in because the man's got, you know, five titles. yeah. But you know the the likelihood is that as the one of the best players on a championship team that uh, that he will have the opportunity to be able to be able to make it in. I know you're not a huge fan of uh, of jersey retirements in general. No, I think it's kind of ridiculous that if you're on a championship team, they retire your jersey. It right, seems to be the only requirement. I mean, you have to be you do have to be one of the best players on that team, at least as far as the Celtics I, are concerned. Yeah, I I guess, but. He only won the one, right? Yeah, I mean, he did make it to another finals. Um, and yeah, but I, I don't know if that's really the, the level of play that we should be retiring jerseys. Mm-hmm. Like Kobe with the five, that makes sense. Like five is crazy. I know they weren't with like the same team, but if they they were with the same team, absolutely. Even if they're not like five championships is five championships. Well, that, that gets you in the guys. hall of fame. That doesn't get, get your number retired with teams. That's true. I don't, but I do think that it could get your number retired if, for instance, like, okay, so let's say that. If uh, if if two or three. If you went to a long-suffering fan base, right, and you won them a championship, uh, yeah, I think okay. that might be yeah, a situation. Right. Yeah, if you, if you were. And that might be what's going on here because the, you know. Were he, they long? They were, I mean, they weren't as long-suffering as, like, the Knicks were. But they had gone through a solid 15 years at that point of complete futility. I, uh, I guess that might be long enough. I'm going to say that's not long enough in sports terms, but Fifteen years is a little while. Right. And I, Well, I think the other reason that this is likely happening is because there's been a lot of frustration with the Celtics and their inability to get over the hump and win another championship since then. They are the major team with the longest de- uh, drought right now in the, the Boston market. I've, every other one of the three major sports teams in the area has won a, a championship since then. Mm. The the Bruins won it in 2011. Obviously, the Patriots and the Red Sox have won in you know, much more recent years. So that might be part of the reason this is happening. All right. um, and he did get them Man. to a second finals, which is something that, you know, I think is kind of underrated in all of this. They were the best team in the East at the beginning of the LeBron era. Um, and that's, at, that actually counts for a lot. Like people kind of forget just how transformational LeBron was seen. Even when he was coming in, it took him a few years to be even be able to make the finals. In large part because of that Celtics team that just kind of kept blocking him, and to a certain extent, the Orlando Magic team that beat him in the two thousand nine playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm right. happy that he, like I, the, I, I the, just think the retirement is just a little too far. But I mean, part of this I think is also that like he is generally conceived to be the best of the pieces that was brought in alongside Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce's number was retired last season. I think it makes a lot of sense to retire. If I, I think it more, it makes more sense to retire. Kevin Garnett's number for instance than it would be to retire um like uh Ray Allen's number mm. I don't think Ray Allen is mm. ever getting his number retired here in part because frankly he was kind of the third banana on that team and in part because of the way things ended with him like say what you want about KG KG didn't leave you didn't choose to leave the Celtics they traded him and and yeah. Paul Pierce away to to the uh the Brooklyn Nets so I and I do think that counts like you know, he was the most one of the most popular players in that part of Celtics history. You know, I, I can understand Like, I don't think they should retire for, for instance, for Rondo's number, even though Rondo was a central part of that team. I don't think they should retire Kendrick Perkins number, for instance. But I do think that retiring, no. you know, that, you know, they had to retire Paul Pierce's number in part because Paul Pierce basically kept the franchise from being completely irrelevant during the Brick Pitino years. And then I think it made a lot of sense to retire um, Kevin Garnett's number, uh, particularly if he does, as I suspect, end up being a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like at that point, I think that makes it much more likely that, you know, retiring his number is is worthwhile. OK. All right. You know, if you have a guy who makes it into the Hall of Fame, it's probably a pretty good idea. Good idea to have that number retired. Uh, nah, OK, we'll disagree on that one. <clears throat> Maybe anyway. Uh, Last bit of news that I have for you about the Boston Celtics is that Jalen Brown missed the Thursday night game that we just talked about uh, with a thigh contusion. Um, Kicked by a mule. He got kicked by a a bull, actually. (laughs) Uh, He got kicked by a bull in the Friday night game last week uh, and suffered a deep muscle contusion. He tried to play it on the following game and was kind of a shadow of himself. He really did not look particularly good. He didn't have a, a terrible night. Like, he wasn't, you know, one of the worst players on the floor by any stretch of the imagination. But he was also nowhere near the kind of player that they think they felt like they needed him to be against the Clippers. Uh, instead, they basically let him go on break early, um, which I think was a good idea. Uh, obviously, you know, we're at the, the all-star break. We've got, I think, about 30 games left in the regular season. Um, the, the Celtics are basically just now getting people healthy again. All-Star break comes that late in the season? Yeah, it's this weekend. It's actually – Yeah, they, no, it's this All-Star weekend. weekend but, yeah. Oh. Huh. I I didn't think it was that late. They do their trade deadline before they do their All-Star uh, game, which I, I actually think makes a lot of sense. It's one of the things about the NHL that doesn't make any sense to me. They've already had their All-Star game, but the, you could have, theoretically have a possibility where somebody is in All-Star weekend and traded – um, it hasn't happened very often, but it has happened from time to time. Okay. So, you know, I, I think the way that the NBA does it is better. They've had their, their trade deadline already. You know, usually at this point, you're not going to buy out an All-Star. So if if somebody appears in All-Star weekend, they are appearing on the team that with on which they are likely to spend the remainder of their, uh, their season. Okay. As for Jalen Brown, you know, they need him healthy. Like, I think they've got a shot at coming out of the East. Really, at this point, the only two teams in the East I think that they would have a real hard time with would likely be, um, I guess, three teams. I, I should throw Toronto in there. The I was going to say Raptors. The thing bad. about the Raptors, is they've been winning really, really, really good games. But at the same time, like I kind of feel like they're shooting their wad now, so to speak. Like I just don't feel like what they're doing is sustainable. OK, um, I, really Miami with the additions that they made during the trade down line. And then, of course, the Milwaukee Bucks were just throttling everyone they come across right now. And in doing ways that are scary, like the Bucks are on pace to win 70 games and they're playing their best player less than 30 minutes a game right now. Like okay. on okay. average, yep. Giannis Antetokounmpo is playing about 25 minutes a game and they're still on pace to win an almost historic number of games. It's kind of scary. But, you know, with the Celtics coming back and getting healthy, if they can solve their problems at center, which in large part is going to depend on what happens with Robert Williams, if they can pick up somebody off the buyout market who is going to give them some scoring off the bench, I really think they can make a push at least to where they were before the Kyrie era, which is making the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a big part of that is going to have to be Jalen Brown, he is one of their best players. They need him healthy. I think it makes a lot more sense to sit him down now. And, you know, even if they thought they might have needed him to beat the Clippers, which apparently they did not, I think made a lot more sense for them to let him get healthy now in preparation for the sort of the the stretch run uh, right there at the end. Because basically from after this weekend through the end of April is crunch time as far as the as far as far the regular season is concerned. Now is the point where you seriously jockey for whatever position you're going to get, and they need him healthy to do that. He is one of their best four players. It is in some order. Well, I, Jason Tatum seems to clearly be at the top of that list right now, and then it's yeah. you know, Kemba Walker, um, Jalen Brown, and to a certain extent, Gordon Hayward, which I have to admit, I did not think was going to be the case at the beginning of the season. Gordon Hayward has been a lot better over the last month than I really expected him to be. Yeah. All right, let's take another break. When we come back, we're going to check in on the Boston Red Sox. Spoiler alert, the Mookie Betts trade went through, and I'm still not happy about it. Uh, We're going to check in on the New England Patriots, but we are not going to talk about Tom Brady. And then eventually we were going to talk about our adopted XFL team. So uh, as I mentioned before the uh, the break, the Mookie Betts deal was finalized this week. Now, we had talked last week of the fact that it was originally going to be a three-team deal. Uh, involving the Dodgers, the Red Sox, and it turned out the Minnesota Twins. That deal was scotched when the Twins pulled out of the deal last week, and it had to be renegotiated with the Dodgers to basically in, to replace the pitcher who apparently. So you, your your concerns about the pitcher and his arm were apparently found well founded enough that they the Red Sox basically failed him on their on the physical examination, which is one of the reasons why this did not happen. Oh, fun. So instead uh their trade with the Dodgers is official. Mookie De- Betts, David Price and half of Price's remaining contract are going to Los Angeles. Uh Boston will pick up Alex Verdugo and a couple of prospects Jeter Downs and Connor Wong. Uh, I still hate this deal. Uh I do want to point people to the ringer.com. There's a really good article there about just how terrible this particular deal is and how unnecessary that it's going to make things. Um, If, you know, we had talked about the fact that this is largely due to the repeater tax, which is, um, you know, certainly part of the justification that was used to make it uh, to to bring forward uh, to the fan base as to why this trade had to go down. Uh, but I want to point in, people to an article on the ringer.com by Zach Cram called The Myths Behind Boston Spooky Bets Trades Justification, which really breaks down just how little money they're saving uh, in, in making this particular deal. Really? Yeah. Um, the competitive tax penalties this year would have been about, I want to say it was like $10 million total uh, in overages, $250 million. Uh, they basically would have had to pay 9.8 million dollars a year additional. There might have been a multiplayer on that, but it wouldn't have gone up more than you know another four million or so. Um, so really, this whole thing was just a, a complete clown show from start to finish. Oh, um, well, that's fine. Yeah, I, I gotta be honest <laughs> with you. Like, I'm, I'm I'm gonna have a real hard time paying any attention to the Red Sox this year. Oh, yeah. Like, unless they are way better than I think they're going to be, I just really like my enthusiasm for what my, whatever enthusiasm I had for this team is pretty well gone. But you have to go in with low expectations this year, anyways, with We're, the way that they played last year. Yeah, well, and they certainly still have not solved their pitching problem. Yeah, I mean, their their ace at this point is probably Nathan Avaldi. Like, they might they might hit balls out of the park constantly mm-hmm. but they're still going to be losing like by like four runs or five runs it's a distinct possibility i mean they they haven't fixed the bullpen they do still have no. chris sale but chris sale uh, i sale, gotta be honest with you know. i'm not like he's having such a hard time staying on the field yeah, yeah. He, he's already sick like he's like pitchers and catchers reported he's already out of uh, uh spring training pitchers and catchers because with pneumonia yeah like I, I, you know, I have a hard time blaming a guy for for health issues, but he seems to constantly be, you know, difficult to keep in a position to be able to pitch. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, unless things are considerably better, like my interest in, this, in my interest in this team has been considerably lessened he's, by the the Mookie Betts trade. It's sales starting to become that problem that I've always had with like big deals. Is that once the big deal is given, like, I don't think they have much motivation to keep going. I don't even baseball. think it's a matter of motivation because he had a couple of injury history. He had an injury history even before he signed that deal with the Red Sox. I think part of the problem is it is so hard these days to maintain the high level of pitching that you need to be able to go against major league hitters that you often leave yourselves open to maintenance problems. Because you, in order, because you basically have to be able to throw 90 miles per hour plus for multiple hundreds of pitchers a game like 30 times a year and that's not something the human body is built to do right like in a lot of ways I think we're a little bit spoiled by the fact that you know as Red Sox fans in particular I think that we're a little spoiled by the fact that we had Wakefield here forever because Wakefield was one of those guys who would be fine for like a 200 pitch game 50 times a year just because knuckleballers are freaking voodoo right (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Um, we did have a signing this week. The Red Sox signed a 31-year-old named Kevin Pilar to a one-year deal with $4.5 million. This is another one of those short-term deals that basically is going to allow them to have a whole bunch of expiring contracts after this season. Um, you know, Pilar is a good player who's been a little bit on the downslope the last couple of years. He batted .259 with a .287 on-base percentage, a .432 slugging percentage, a .719 OPS, 21 homers, 37 doubles, 3 triples, and 88 RBIs last year in 161 games. So he is durable. He has the potential of doing better than that, um, but, you know, he was playing with the Blue Jays and the Giants, neither of which really had much to play for last season, so you know i i'll be interested to see how well he does he is considered a a bit of a compliment to the guys who are going to be in the outfield in part because he has a left-handed batter which would make him okay. almost unique in the batting order so far like he'll be coming in and and you know he'll be alongside a lot of righties and let's not forget that the major league baseball did or did institute the three batter minimum um during this offseason so the, the likelihood of it being valuable to have somebody who's the occasional left-hander may be increased by the fact that they may not be able to have situational matchups against him quite so easily. Uh, Last bit of news that I have for you about the Red Sox is that uh, Ron Renneke was announced as the interim manager this week. Um, So this is why I think they were hesitating to call a manager. I think they always (laughs) wanted him, but because of the investigation, they don't know how much he was involved in. But he he literally couldn't have been is the thing. I know, but I think that's more on the Red Sox trying to cover themselves than it is reasonable. I guess like, I mean, I would expect that once the things are, one, I would expect that at some point this season, he will go from interim manager to announced as the manager. Yeah. Um, the the fact that they put the interim tag on him is unusual to me because there's really no chance that he could be implicated in any kind of sign stealing thing. like. The last time that he was even in baseball was 2017 with the Brewers, who have absolutely no connection to any of the the teams in under investigation. I think this is just in case they they did do something. This makes me think that they did do something. By the way, because um, oh, I think they absolutely did. Like I, you can't have you can't tell me that. Alex Cora was the one for who responsible for coming up with the idea when he was working in twenty sixteen in twenty seventeen He goes to the Astros as the bench coach and they implemented it there and then he twenty you know twenty eighteen he goes to the Red Sox and goes, "Well, I don't need to do that anymore yeah, like that doesn't make any sense to me but i I kind of wonder if they're if they're just doing this because they think that major League baseball might do a like sweeping thing and like I don't know, the only all other, the coaches? The I only other reason this would make sense to me to announce really in his interim it. is to give him an out in the event, for instance, that they have a ton of, like, if they have a whole bunch of players suspended for taking part in a cheating scheme and he decides that he doesn't want to be a manager here, then I guess that would make yeah, a certain kind of sense. Already, but, haven't they already declared that they're not going to punish any players? Yeah, and so that was the thing. Like, Manfred had come out and pretty much said that none of the players were going to be punished for what happened. Now, in part, that seems to have been a bid to get them to talk. There's pretty much zero chance of that happening now because of what's happening in public to the the to the Astros players that did talk. But yeah, I, this, this whole seem, thing seems very strange to me. I think one of the reasons why the only other reason I can think of is that the, that Major League Baseball told them not to announce any major management changes, but that they basically said we need to get somebody in place because spring training is basically ongoing. And we need somebody there in charge. And so they basically, instead of officially hiring him as a manager, brought him in as an interim manager to run things until they're given the all clear to actually make some hiring choices. Maybe. Maybe. That uh, still doesn't make sense. Like, why would they? Why would they need an all clear? Like, why would they tell them don't make any management that, changes? That's literally the only th- the only other reason I like when, think of why you wouldn't the would be management change it. you were worried about is like Cora, and he's already gone. Well, so. Cora or uh, Dave Dombrowski, who is also gone. Like, yeah. they changed out their head coach and their front office. I, I, the, that's the, weird. It's very strange that he was announced as the interim manager, and not the full time manager. And I really don't know. If that's because he doesn't expect to be in for a full season or if there's something else going on in the background that I just don't understand. I mean, for or what maybe, it's or worth. Maybe, maybe people are really saying no to, like, interviews or something. It's a possibility. I mean, you know, he was a bench coach. F- oh, you know what? He was a bench coach for them. So it's possible they brought him as an interim because it's theoretically possible that he could be impl- implicated in in, a, yeah. in in an investigation. So that, I guess that would make sense that he's basically being told that he's like, taking over for now. And the only thing I can think of is that since Core is not there anymore, that that MLB basically says, okay, well, we're going to hit this coach and this coach who are involved as well. Right. Because Core is not there. Well, we I can't mean, get no, the, the, the big guy. I mean, we so. know that, like, if you look at the people that were punished for the Astros thing, like, a couple of those people were only tangentially involved, and one of them had raised serious objections. He just apparently didn't raise them strong enough, and he was the one that was punished and not any of the players. So I don't know. It's it's very strange. It's weird. This whole whole thing is weird. Yeah. Let's move on to the New England Patriots. Uh, The Patriots made a signing this week. Uh, Actually, they made two signings, but the most important of them is not a player. Uh, The Patriots extended Nick Casario, who has been a member of their front office for a pretty considerable amount of time. This is particularly interesting because Casario was one of the people that was considered as a hot prospect to take over as a general manager for any one of a number of other teams around. Uh, In particular, it looked last year like the Houston Texans were making a real bid to bring Casario in as their general manager. Uh, Instead, he signs a five-year extension with the New England Patriots. Um, Obviously, as a front office member, there really hasn't been a lot about the terms of it reported, but it does uh, seem like he's going to be around for for quite a long time. Um, You know, Casario is an interesting personality in part because he he functionally takes over several of the roles that a general manager normally would because uh, the general manager of the Patriots is Bill Belichick, who also serves as the head coach. So my understanding is that Co- that uh, Casario is considered to be, for instance, basically the head of the scouting department. Um, in particular, I find this interesting because there was a lot of indication in the press last year that Casario might not be happy with his position, and maybe interested in you know moving on to try to get a more you know a more high profile role somewhere else. And that seems not to have happened. He uh, right. uh, seems to have elected to stay. In New England, um, which says to me that, you know, obviously some of those reports last year may have been, shall we say, if not fabricated entirely, floated out there in the prospect that Casario might see them and think that they were a good idea, not that they were put up there by his particular camp. He seems pretty. If he's signing a five year deal to stay with the Patriot, that says to me that he's pretty content staying where he is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Patriots did make one signing this week. They signed Lindsey Pipkins. Uh, an unlikely named 26-year-old defensive back uh, who did not play last season. He had been cut by the Browns on August 31st, uh, did not play during the course of this season, but had played previous seasons for Detroit, Indianapolis, and Green Bay. Uh, apparently, uh, he was drafted. In the league, oh, he was brought into the league in 2017 as an undrafted free agent, uh, somebody I think that is more likely to be brought on as – a potential um, practice squad player than likely to make make the active roster. Um, Okay. Certainly not somebody who is expected to make a great deal of noise, but you know what? He wasn't bad. He had 17 tackles over 12 games uh, as a rookie. So it's possible that they just don't think that he was being particularly well used. Um, Detroit, Cleveland and Indianapolis have been a little suspect on defense the last couple of years. So it wouldn't, Surprised me to find out that uh, they want to evaluate him to find out whether or not he's a better player than he's been given options, if that makes any sense. Okay. All right. yeah. Last bit of Pat's news that I have for you. Is I just want to go over the list of Patriots who will be returning from injury uh, in this upcoming season. I think we kind of lost track of just how extensive that injury history was over the course Half of the season. Half a team's worth, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. Like So the the veterans who were injured and missed basically the remainder of the season were David Andrews. James Devlin, Stephen Guskowski, and Brandon King, right? All four of those guys are particularly important to this particular team. You know, David Andrews, what is the center around which that offensive line was supposed to operate? And yes. having to replace him yes. was obviously a real problem for them. And one of the, you know, mm-hmm. and then to lose Devlin, who was their best backfield blocker, on top of that, that yep. was one of the reasons they had so much trouble keeping Brady upright this uh, this past season. Now I will be interested to see whether or not Devlin returns at the level he was, because we, there had been some rumors during the season that his injury, in particular, was debilitating enough that there was a possibility that he may not may not play again, because his was an actual like neck fracture, yeah. For instance, unfortunate, it's true. But you know, certainly getting David Andrews back for this team with Dante Skarnecki gone in particular is going to be very important for whatever success they hope to set themselves up for. Obviously Guskowski coming back is going to be extremely important. They made things kind of work with the kickers that they brought in, um, but Goskowski is one of the mess, one of the highest paid kickers in the league for a reason he is he 's the one i 'm most interested in in getting coming back. how he is yeah right uh, The Patriots has also had a number of younger players that were sidelined by injury um, uh, Keonta Davis Jacob Johnson. Uh, Gunnar Shevsky and Derek Rivers all missed time. Derek Rivers and uh, Gunnar Olszewski, I think, were pro- – well, sorry, not uh, uh, Jacob Johnson, rather, I think are probably the most important names on that list. Uh, Jacob Johnson was supposed to be the, the guy to come in to do what um, James Devlin had been doing. Uh, and the fact that they lost him so it, almost immediately after they lost Devlin made it very difficult for them because they basically had to rebuild their blocking scheme until they were able to put in Landon Robertson at fullback, and that was very late in the season. Mm, yeah. So um, those are guys who are going to be particularly important. Gunnar Olszewski, I think a lot of people liked, you know, particularly in the, pr- in the preseason last year, he was kind of that plucky guy. In particular, you know, he made a couple of flashy returns um, during the preseason. But I got to be honest with you, like – I don't think that he's all that important to this team going forward like all right all right you know I I think he's going to be one of those players who is very very popular with the Patriots fans but also not one of those guys who is not in, indispensable kind of in the same way that Danny Woodhead was if that makes any sense to you okay I don't really find anybody in well maybe a few as as indispensable but right uh, there were also a number of players that were basically placed on injured reserve with what's called the Foxborough Flu, which were basically players who were kind of stashed on um, <laughs> on injured reserve. Um, both Yadni Kaj- Kajust, Kajust, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, uh, and Hjalte Froholt uh, were a couple of offensive linemen who were placed on injured reserve at various points, largely to make up roster spots for that weird carousel of wide receivers they had at one point. Um, they also had strong safety Malik Grant and cornerback D'Angelo Ross that were uh, sidelined to, to the uh, the injured reserve. Uh, these guys, it's not okay. that these people didn't have injuries, but the injuries were probably not normally injured enough to stay out for the entire season. But, you know, the Patriots pulled some shenanigans to free up roster spots to be able to bring in other players. Um, of those guys, obviously the two offensive linemen, I think, are probably the most important um, I think that the Patriots have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do at uh, at safety and at, at cornerback or, or excuse me, uh, defend. Uh, yeah, cornerback. So really, it's it's that offensive line that's going to be the big, um, you know, the big uh, question mark going into this upcoming season. Hmm. All right, let's take another break. When we come back, we will check in on our chosen team in the XFL. Uh, and then in addition to that, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Beanpot Championship, which uh, took place this week. All right, we are back. So before the beginning of the XFL season, we decided that we were going to adopt a team. Uh, and we have done so. They have Dragon. played their first game. The Seattle Dragons lose the, the uh, XFL <laughs> Premier Game. I'm not that good at picking teams. do you really not? I mean, you picked entirely, based, you picked entirely based on name. Like, you didn't even pick the closest team to us, which I think would have been the Defenders. Uh, regardless, though. Where were the, the Defenders, th- though? Weren't they? DC. DC. Yeah, no, I'm not picking a DC. Yeah, I don't think there's a New York team. There might be, but I don't think so. Uh, regardless, the Dragon lose their opener to the DC Defenders by a final score of 32 to 19 for a game that was largely notable for some of the odd things that happened during the game. Uh, there was a situation where somebody uh, had an un-bleeped a un, um, bleeped swear at one point during the game, which people thought was kind of amusing. Apparently, the guy looks almost exactly like Chase Winovich from, uh, from the Patriots, which I thought was interesting. What network was it on? Uh, this particular one, I believe, was on Fox um uh the other thing that was notable is that uh Jim Zorn, who is the uh, Seattle dragons coach uh basically was blindsided by the fact that the e- uh no i'm sorry it was e s p n because the e s p n crew was the one that was broadcasting oh, ESPN. his uh it, the e s p n crew was broadcasting his play calling apparently he was holding the clipboard over his mouth okay. but because he was mic'd up, they were broadcasting to the second screen stuff what he was saying um which apparently was, it seems dumb. It does. And I'm it not just seems like, dumb. I on, guess on ESPN, I can kind of understand why they would want to give people that access. On the other hand, like the competitive advantage, it would give somebody just to be able to like live stream the calls that are being played. Seem, that seems to be uh, a little on the, yeah. on a, the questionable side. As far as the game itself goes, it was fine, which I have to be honest with you, was kind of a victory for uh, for the XFL. Like, it looked like football. There were a couple of notable differences. The replacement that they use for kickoffs I think is actually really interesting, and it's something that I've seen a lot of people suggest the NFL may want to adopt. Basically, instead of having the players line up next to the kicker and then run downfield, basically only the kicker is back and they line up at a, close to the line of scrimmage like it's a regular play, which allows you to have the potential for a return without people sprinting at each other at full speeds, which is really tends to cause the, the highest degree of injury. Oh, but you still oh. have the possibility of somebody breaking a return for big yardage. It's a lot harder. Because obviously the defenders are all the way down the field, but you're not ending up with those massive swings in momentum that can really cause injury. And it's you know it's obviously a very exciting play, um, but it's also a lot less likely to result in injury than uh, than the the way that the NFL has, does it. Uh, I actually was super interested in the fact that they had adopted a kickoff scheme that was as well thought out as this was. I, I will give them some some credit in that this seems to be a situation where they looked at a rule and they really thought about the best way to preserve the spirit of what the NFL game does while reducing the the possibility of injury, uh, which the old XFL definitely would not have done. No, because because <laughs> their whole gimmick was no rules basically. Th- their whole gimmick was that it was supposed to be Thunderdome basically. Yeah. Whereas this is, <laughs> <of> a, <laughs> this is much more of a this is much more of a you know a, an actual professional looking sport. Bitches riding on the backs of people. Yeah, Uh, they actually had a lot of people show up for this. They had a crowd of 17,000 people, which for people seem to be really into it. Yeah, I I have to be honest with you. Like, I think I I don't know whether or not they're going to be able to sustain this level of interest over the course of the season. But I think what they have proved is that there is an appetite for football. If they can if they can prove they're going to be around long enough. Yeah, like Well, and I think it proves that there's a bigger appetite than we thought. I always thought that there was this level of appetite for football. What I didn't think that was going to be sustainable was actually taking this level of football and making sure that it stayed around long enough that re- people could really become fans. The thing what I thought was that it was only going to be like hardcore football fans were going to be into this. And mm-hmm. those kind of numbers tell me that even some laymen are kind of just checking it out as well. I think they did something really smart with the scheduling for last weekend, which is that they did a really good job of spreading out. The games over the entire weekend because I ended up actually watching some of the the games on Sunday because I was out at a bar and if you're at a bar over the weekend like they're going to want to put something on and if that something yeah. is football like that's that's a market that you can tap into. So I have to say this is a lot better architected than it was the first time around and it is way better architected than the AF ever was like. This looks like football, it plays like football, it is not the same level of competition that the NFL is, but I don't think you need that to sustain a certain level of interest. Yeah. I'm gonna be really interested to see which one of the because Seattle doesn't really need to care about the Dragons. I think they'll end up getting people there, but like if it's going to come down to a choice between the Dragons and the Seahawks, that's not going to be close. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a question. But they put some of these teams in places where there are some serious vulnerabilities. Like the D.C. Defenders play in the market where the Redskins have been having, you know, um, having attendance problems for years now because they're yep. run by you know somebody who's one because of the worst idiot. people on earth. Yeah. You know, obviously Alabama is not known as a hotbed for professional sports, but it's also a place there where there's a lot of love for football. So, I, you know, I'm not thrilled at all of the things that the XFL has done. But the more that I look at this, the more that it looks like a real professional sports league and that's a, that they're really that's trying. Ac- but that's an accomplishment is the, yeah. is the point that I'm trying to make. So anyway, as far as the game itself is concerned, I mean, it was obviously not great for our our chosen side. But, you know, they did score. Like, they weren't blanked or anything like that. It was kind of a weak showing, but also, like, there is the opportunity to improve as things go forward. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on that. Last bit of news that I want to talk about today is that the Beanpot Championships has come around. Uh, the Beanpot is kind of an odd duck in that it is in a, a midseason tournament in NCAA hockey that is only partaken in by the teams that are basically – in the New England area, uh, mm-hmm. generally the teams that will are either in the Boston area or within like an hour and a half drive or so. Uh, this year it was swept. Uh, the entire tournament was won all the way through, uh, including the the sort of seeding round by Northeastern, uh, oh, who wow. just absolutely ran away. They, now, they did record double overtime to win the championship game, Okay, um, but they managed to come through. The, re- the other reason is that the Bean is kind of an odd duck, by the way, is it does not count towards N- NCAA standings. Uh, this is an entirely separate tournament from it's an exhibition. What, yeah, it's basically yeah. an exhibition tournament, but it's one that all of the New England teams take very, very seriously. Um, but big ups to them. I mean, I, it's been years since somebody dominated this tournament quite as as completely as Northeastern did, and it's an indication that Northeastern, you know, they they have Frozen Four aspirations this year to be able to 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 make it to the top of the NCAA ice hockey tournament, and they they. It looks like they've got the juice to be able to get there. Like, they had to go through some strong teams to, to be able to get the, uh, the the Beanpot Cup. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out that, you know, that can, team continues to play well uh, and gives them a real possibility of coming away with, you know. And I think it's been a long time since uh, New England has hosted a Frozen Four Champ. It, it's real, relatively recently been going largely to, to teams in the Midwest, so. Yeah, um, I'm wow. I'm kind of excited to see how this is going to go. I, I'm one of those people who who really likes NCAA hockey. Um, it is not NHL hockey, but I, I I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. In a lot of ways, sloppy ice hockey is almost a little bit more exciting than well played ice hockey, just because p- people score when things go wrong. Okay, right. so. Hang on. I'm uh, I'm really excited to see how well this northeastern team is going to do. I'm going to enjoy keeping an eye on them. And the the tournament comes up sooner rather than later. I think the Frozen Four tournament starts in about a month, so because okay. they go from basically 16 down to a championship. All right, that will do it for this week. Uh, this has been the Unqualified Sports Show for three weeks in a row. Believe it or not, I know. <laughs> uh, if you have a story that you'd like to share with the show, or you'd like to provide us some, some provide us with some feedback. Feel free to drop us a line at unqualifiednetworks at gmail.com. You can follow the show at unqualifiednet on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at nsnitko, that is N-S-N-I-T-K-O. You can follow Forrest on Twitter at Forrest James. And if you'd like to find any of our other content, including the main Unqualified Networks uh, podcast or uh, the some of the specials that we've done, in, which include fantasy fiction football, you can find them on our website at unqualifiednetworks.com. There you go. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you again soon.